Ladies and gentlemen, once again, welcome. Uh, we are delighted you all are here. Um, we are pleased to welcome today the Reverend Hunter Jordan as our speaker. Um, I'm going to say a quick prayer for him, and then I will turn it over to him. Let us pray. Holy and gracious God, we do indeed give you thanks once again for this opportunity to gather together as your people. We thank you that you have called us into fellowship with one another and into fellowship with you through your son, Jesus Christ. We ask now that you would bless Hunter, that his words would be your words, and that you would use them to uh, transform our lives and shape our hearts through the power of your Holy Spirit. Bless him, open our hearts, Lord God, to what he has to say, that it would be uh, from you, and that all that we do this day would be pleasing in your sight. We pray all this in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let's welcome Hunter. Well, thanks uh, for having me, Ken. It's always fun to be in St. John's with people that I have known for years. I grew up here in Florence. Um, some of you really have seen me grow up playing t-ball all the way through. I grew up at First Pres here in Florence, found my way to the Anglican Church through EYC, um, both here and with All Saints, and um, I held on to my Presbyterian roots as long as possible. But through my time at Camp St. Christopher and marrying a woman who grew up in the Episcopal Church, I couldn't fight it any longer. And they gave me a job doing youth ministry in Myrtle Beach. Uh, so thanks to that, um, I got confirmed and over the years have served in youth and family ministry, went to seminary in a showdown, and then was serving for the past three and a half years as the rector of St. Matthew's in Darlington. It was a joy and a pleasure to serve there with some of those delightful people. Um, and I've loved my time there, and in the midst of it, the Lord uh, called me to a new ministry, um, unfortunately. Um, I wasn't ready to go, but the Lord was. And so uh, he has called me into a new season with an organization called the CCO, the Coalition for Christian Outreach. It's a college ministry that started about uh, 50 years ago in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, by John Guest, which is, who was an Episcopal priest, and others. Together, they wanted Pittsburgh to be known more for the gospel than for steel which was pretty easy considering the steel industry tanked. Um, so now it's pretty easy for them to be known more for the gospel than for steel. Um, but over the years, their goal is that every student needs the gospel. Every student needs the local church. And every student needs a vision for their life. So how does the gospel actually transform our hearts and minds in a way that transforms our relationships? And it also transforms our vocation. And how do we function in that way? Every year they have a conference called Jubilee. And at Jubilee, they go through four major talks. Creation, fall, redemption, and restoration. And today, as we look at our topic of fellowship, we will follow those same principles. We'll be looking at uh, fellowship through creation through the fall, through redemption, then now as we live with our hope and everlasting life that begins today, that God isn't going just to make all things new one day, but that he has begun making all things new now, that we get to enter into that new creation now. We'll talk about 
our fellowship, both with him, with the world around us, and with one another. So to begin with, look to one of your neighbors, it doesn't matter which one at your table, you've got several, and ask them, how are you doing today? Okay, now look to your other neighbor and ask your other neighbor what is the thing they're looking forward to most today. I know you're all saying my teaching. This is great. You're so kind. All right, great. We'll have more questions at the end. Don't worry, I'll allow you to chat amongst yourselves at least once more before the time is out. We're going to begin by looking at Genesis. Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. Then God said, let us make man and our image after our likeness. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created them. Uh, so, So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed of its own on the face of the whole earth, every tree with seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food. And every beast of the earth and every bird of the heavens and everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. God creates male and female. And we'll read a little bit more about that as we look into Genesis chapter 2, verse 18 and following. In the creation story, the Lord, uh, and the scriptures we hear now specifically about the creation of man and woman. Then the Lord God said, it is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. Now out of the ground, the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature was its name. The man gave names of all the livestock and the birds of the heavens and every beast of the field But for Adam, there was not found a helper fit for him. So the Lord caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. While he slept, he took one of the ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. And then the man said, This at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. In the creation story, we have God creating male and female. We have God creating the heavens and the earth. We have him creating the fish of the seas, the birds of the air, and every beast. He's creating the leaves and the trees. He's created everything for a purpose, that it might be in fellowship with one another, that it might work together in relationship. Not only has he created these things to come together, but he is also dwelling in that place. For we read later on that God is walking in the cool of the garden looking for Adam and Eve. Therefore, we were created 
created to be in relationship with creation. In perfect relationship. Caring for the needs of the earth. Having the earth provide sustenance for us. That the earth is actually watering itself. That it is in perfect relationship and fellowship with itself. And that God has established the relationship between man and woman, between humans, to be a source of encouragement and strength, a person that can be a support, and that he does not just set it all in motion and walk away, but rather he desires to be in relationship and fellowship with his creation, for he He dwells in that garden. And he comes and he walks in the cool of the garden. He talks with Adam and Eve. He has a conversation with them. It's meant that we are to be in constant conversation and relationship. There was no fear of death. There was no suffering, no trials. But rather together worked for a singular purpose. And that purpose was to give glory and honor to the Creator. And in perfect relationship, that the Creator would be glorified. Now, we have a slight problem. And that slight problem is is that sin enters into the world. It enters into the world through creation. Now the serpent was craftier than all the other beasts of the field that the Lord God had made. The serpent. The serpent is part of creation. It was created, it says here. Now the serpent was craftier than the other beasts of the field that the Lord God had made. One of his created beings was crafty. And he is deceptive. He goes on, and he says to the woman, did God say that you shall not eat of any tree of the garden? Now he's beginning to question the fellowship and the relationship between man and creation itself and between God as he's questioning the goodness of God. And the woman says to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. That's a whole other topic about her adding Or touch it. That's not today. But the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, that the tree was desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit and ate. She also gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate. And here becomes, enters in, the fall between humans. And then their eyes were both opened and they knew that they were naked. My wife is upset with me that I added that into our wedding service. We, we read this passage of Scripture. It was meant to be read for uh, the Old Testament reading in our marriage service. And if you go into the marriage service, it ends um, before... Uh, oh, it wasn't that one. It was the naked and unashamed. Um, 
in verse 20, sorry, it's in verse two, chapter 2, verse 25. You read all about creation of man and woman, and then it's supposed to end, and they shall become one flesh. And then it's just the word of the Lord. And I thought it made sense to read the whole thing. My wife did not think that it was as entertaining as I did. <laughs> they were both naked and unashamed. This is great reading for your wedding service. She told me about it in the middle of our vows. <clears throat> mumbling but now fall the fall has happened there's a reason why my wife was uncomfortable with that is because they were naked and they realized they were ashamed there is something that feels shameful about this there's a vulnerability that they were not comfortable with all of a sudden because now they are worried about being accepted by the other they are worried about flaws about defects They are worried that they are imperfect, and therefore their concern is about what the other is thinking rather than their concern being about their Heavenly Father, about the Creator, about living life in relationship. And here we see, because of the fall, that the fellowship between man and woman becomes distorted. There is brokenness that is coming. And it continues on. So they, they sew some figs leaves together to make themselves loincloths. I think they couldn't figure out how to say fig cloths, but I don't know. It's got to be in Hebrew somewhere. <clears throat> they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the cool of the garden. Isn't that beautiful? He was walking in the cool of the garden. We were created to be in a place where the Lord was walking in the garden with us. That he was delighting in us and in his creation. And we were called to be in relationship with him. And the Lord is walking in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God amongst the trees of the garden. But the Lord called the man and said to him, where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden. I was afraid. All of a sudden. Man is afraid of God. Where in the chapters before, God has placed a lot of things on him actually to rule and subdue and oversee all of creation. And he hasn't seemed very bothered by this. Man hasn't seemed concerned about naming every beast. But now all of a sudden, the Lord is walking in the cool of the garden and he is afraid. And he is afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. And he said, who told you you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree which I commanded you not to eat? And the man said, the woman who gave this to me, it was her fault. (laughs) She gave me the fruit of the tree and I ate. I don't know. Fellowship is broken. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this that you have done? And the woman said, the servant made me do it. There is the brokenness between the fellowship and relationship between man and creation. Because of the actions of Adam and Eve, in the midst of the fall, we see a falling out of the fellowship between God and his creation, between God and his people, between the people and creation. Therefore, there must be some means of redemption. 
There must be a means by which our fellowship should be restored. That we might be able to be brought back in a relationship with one another. And the Lord gives us a glimpse of this. In Genesis chapter 3, He gives a promise to us here in the beginning. He goes forth and tells us all of the different curses that will happen. And for the woman, or sorry, and um, he says these words, Blessed, because you have done these things, cursed are you above all livestock, talking to the serpent, and above all the beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. I promise that one will come and bruise the head will crush the head of the serpent. But that is not the only promise that he gives God's people. At the end, after he lists off the curses, we hear what the Lord does. The man called his wife's name Eve because she was the mother of all living. And the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skin and clothed them. This death now is empty. Death enters into the world where there had been none beforehand. And the Lord kills. Blood is shed. And now Adam and Eve are clothed. Clothed with garments that will not fade away. Like those fig cloths that they were prancing about in. The Lord has made them garments that won't just crumble up. And there is a promise that one will come. One will come and whose blood will be shed to cover us with new clothes, with a new righteousness. Not of our own, but of the righteousness of our Savior Christ. This promise comes in Genesis chapter 3. In Genesis chapter 3, there's a promise that redemption is going to come. I can now go in and, and look at all of the gospel readings and show you how Christ has fulfilled these things and begun to proclaim a new earth. He comes and he shows that he has the power over the winds and the waves as we read the Gospels. We, he shows that he has power over the demons as he casts them out. He has power to heal the blind and the lame and the sick. Jesus Christ comes and he actually shows that he has power over death itself as he raises Lazarus from the dead. And then he shows the power of God and humbly Humbly dying on a cross for our sins. He is not only powerful and mighty and awesome, but that He is loving and humble. He is the suffering servant that you read about in Isaiah. And He has come to redeem you and me in order that we might be back into perfect fellowship with Himself. That we might be able to actually come before His presence and be in relationship with the Father. For when He dies, He also raises from the dead. And He ascends to the right hand of the Father where He intercedes on our behalf. So now we might be in relationship with God. We might be able to be in communion, in fellowship with Him. So, 
we turn now for the rest of our time together to 1 John. We'll spend the next bit there. It's a bunch of fun. 1 John chapter 1, verses 1 through 10. And don't worry, I'll get you to talk again in just a second. It'll be a lot of fun. John 1, 1 John 1, 1, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our own eyes, which we have looked upon, which we have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. The life was made manifest and we have seen it and testified and proclaimed to you the eternal life, which is with the Father, has been made manifest to us. That which we have seen and we and heard, we proclaim to you, also to you, so that you may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father, with the Son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. It is meant to be our joy that we are in fellowship with God, in fellowship with His creation, and in fellowship with one another. That which is from the beginning. John in his gospel writings will say, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was with God. And I'll go on to talk about Him being in the midst of creation. And we go back to see that Jesus Christ is there in the beginning. Jesus Christ is there as God is walking in the cool of the garden, for He is God. He's been in perfect relationship and He's made Himself known to us. God has come in the flesh that we might know Him and that through His sacrifice we might be restored into right fellowship with Him. We have this fellowship with the Father and with His Son through the power of the Holy Spirit. And this is to bring us joy. Not to give us hope for a future joy, but to bring us joy now. So how do we actually do that? How do we actually begin to delight and enjoy being in the fellowship with God right now? And here I would like to encourage you. To be in fellowship with God means we must participate regularly in worship. We must. If we choose to listen to a sermon series online and not come and be with the body of Christ and not come to worship, then we miss out on the beauty of being in fellowship, of being lifted up into the throne room of God, where He invites us to come and to feast at His table. We must come. We must come together for worship, to be lifted up into the throne room, and to feast at His table. If Ken ever stops giving you communion, you should all take him out back and beat him. <laughs> Unless there's some teaching series where he wants you to really feel the weight of it. So he withholds it from all of you for the entire season of Lent. And then gives it back to you at Easter. Be nice. All that's to say is, one of the ways in which we are united to Christ, in which we are united to God, and fellowship is actually coming and feasting at a table. Feasting at a table where he provides the meal, where he presides over the meal, where he 
distributes the meal, where he nourishes our souls. This is the means by which he unites us to himself. The second way in which we can be in fellowship with God is through prayer. Your words are not empty. They don't just kind of float out into space for somebody to pick up. But rather your words are heard by your Savior Jesus Christ who sits at the right hand of the Father, who intercedes on your behalf. God himself hears your prayers. You don't just have to ask him for things. You can actually whine and complain. You can actually wrestle with him and tell him you don't like what he says in his word. You do this because he's real and you're in a relationship. And I don't know many relationships that I have not argued with somebody or been in a debate with or been upset with from time to time. And it is in order that we might be able to grow in holiness. He is holy and through the midst of our wrestling with him, he makes us holy. He builds up our faith. He strengthens and encourages us. If you read the Psalms, it's nothing but a bunch of whining. It's nothing but a bunch of wrestling with God about lamenting. And how do you do it well? Read the Psalms. Let them be your prayer when you are struggling, when you're in the midst of trials and suffering. And know that through them and through the fellowship that you have with God in prayer, He will do the work of making you holy. Reminding you of His goodness, of His faithfulness. I was told recently that God's providence, His work in the world is best read like Hebrew, backwards. You can easily look back on what the Lord has done and seen His faithfulness. Therefore, we are called to do so. In prayer, to call out to Him and to look back and to see how He has come alongside of us and shown His faithfulness to us. Another way in which you could be in fellowship with God is actually reading His Word. For His Word, from beginning to end, speaks of who He is, of His character love for you and for me. And if you've ever gotten a love letter from someone that you actually wanted one from, you've gotten the other ones too. Everybody has. You threw those away hoping that nobody else would notice you got that love letter. But when you've gotten one from somebody that you love, I'm sure that you've had the tendency of maybe pulling it out sometime and rereading it. Because it was just so sweet and encouraging because you're in relationship with them, and you long to hear those words about how they love you, how they care for you, how they've provided for you, and their words of encouragement. Read His Word. If you're in relationship with Him, if you're meant to be in fellowship with God, then we must read His Word that we might know what He has to say about us and about His world. We might be able to be filled with joy So it is through worship and the feasting at his table, it is through prayer and through the reading of scriptures that we are in fellowship with God. And being in fellowship with God sanctifies us. It makes us become more holy and begins to give us a vision for how we might be in fellowship with one another and be in fellowship with, our, with his creation. John chapter 1, or 1 John chapter 1 continues. 
This message that we have heard is from him, and we proclaim to you that God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sins. If we, have, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. Don't deceive yourself. I don't, anyways, we're all good sinners. <clears throat> if we say we have no sin, we dece- deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him out a liar, and his word is not in us. It is in being in fellowship with God that we move from darkness to light. That we move from functioning out of our own strength, that we move from functioning in our own sin and brokenness, that we begin to seek holiness and we begin to seek true relationships. Anybody can be in relationship with someone else. I mean, at the beginning of our time together, you asked each other how you were doing, and I'm sure most of you had the polite southern response. Fine, thanks. And you? (laughs) Nobody in here said awful. If you did, well done. Great, awful, yeah. Life's miserable right now. Things are hard. But we've often been trained to say, oh, life's great. What are we looking forward to most? And we can always come up with something. What are you dreading most would be one that everybody would be like, um, we're not dreading anything. Life's great. But you got to go back to work in a little bit, some of you. So he says, if we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and we do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from our sin. You and I have been cleansed from our sin because of the work of Jesus Christ. And now we are called to be in true fellowship with one another. And that doesn't mean we just say the pleasant things to one another. That doesn't mean that we just say that our life is fine and dandy. But rather, it means that in true fellowship, we call one another into holiness. As we're in fellowship with God, He calls us to holiness You and I are called in relationship with one another to call each other into holiness. One of the first things I tell those who I do pre-marriage counseling with uh, comes from Tim Keller, who I'm sure he stole it from somebody else. So I'm going to steal it from him. And that is, marriage is not meant to make you happy. Most of you know that to be true. (laughs) But it is meant to make you holy. And when we are made holy, we find joy and hope in Him. So the same is true for the relationships that we have with one another. We're not just meant to make each other happy. To say all the things that you want the other person to hear in order that they'll be happy with you and then everything's just happy, happy, happy. But rather we are called to challenge each other, to speak truth and love with grace. That means we must be willing to be present with each other. Not just present at the oyster roast with a cold beer in our hands, but we also need to be present when 
One of our friends has a child who's walking away from the faith or is struggling with something. We must be able to be present with our friends when they get a promotion. We can celebrate with them. Both in the good and the bad, we must find ourselves connected to our friends in relationship. And that means we must be vulnerable with one another. We must be willing to share our brokenness and our struggles and our trials. No one will come alongside of you if you never tell them you need them to. No one will ever celebrate with you if they don't know there is something to be celebrated. Therefore, we're called to vulnerability. To be naked and unashamed. Many of us think of vulnerability as weakness. But when you hear someone stand before you and be vulnerable, you think it's courage. You're amazed that someone would share with you their brokenness and their great needs. You think that is courageous of what they are doing, yet you're unwilling to do it yourself. Because we think it's weakness. We must know that vulnerability and brokenness and sharing that is actually courageous. It is the process in which we invite people in to true fellowship, to encourage and to strengthen one another in order that we might have fellowship. When we go back to Acts 2.42, which I don't know if Ken told you, that's where he's stolen this idea from. He went to the Bible, which was impressive to me, um, for for the topics. I thought he was going to do superheroes this year for Lent, and I was excited. In Acts 2.42, we hear, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayers. And all came upon them and every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing, distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, adding to the temple to get, attending the temple together, breaking the bread in their homes and receiving food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all other people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who are being saved. It is because they are willing to be vulnerable and have true fellowship that they said, I'm in need. And the others said, I'll sell something and help you in your need. They gathered together daily to worship, to read the scriptures, to pray, together in the temple. They walked alongside of each other in life in order that they might be able to grow together in holiness. I have two minutes, so I'm going to conclude. We were created to be in perfect fellowship with God, with other humans, and with his creation. Because of the fall, that relationship was broken. We went from being naked and unashamed to naked and ashamed, but we were given a promise that we would be covered one day with the righteousness of Christ, that one would come. And God provides this in himself, making us holy. We are called to be in relationship with him now, 
We can do so through worship and feasting at his table. We can do so through the reading of scripture and through prayer. And in doing this, God will do the work of sanctifying us and making us holy. But he doesn't ask us to do it all alone. But rather provides the body of Christ around us. Not to make one another happy, but to call one another into holiness. To walk alongside of each other in need and want, but also to walk alongside of each other in celebration. Therefore, we must be vulnerable and broken, both with God and with one another. And in doing so, he will do the work of sanctification, making us more and more like his son. And as we become more and more like him, we find joy. We find joy in living for him. We find hope of what it will be like when we are with him for all eternity. And being filled with hope and joy, we are able to proclaim the good news to the lost and those who are in need. Therefore, let us know of the joy of the fellowship that we have with God. Let us delight in our fellowship with one another and go out amongst his creation. Go out amongst those who are lost and in need and share with them the hope and joy that is found in following your Savior Christ. May you delight in Him. Amen. Let's pray, and then I'll give you a couple minutes for questions. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for the body of Christ here present. I do ask that you would come and that you would feed them in your word and prayer and feed them at your table through worship. And feeding them that they would become more and more like your son, Jesus Christ. That we would all grow in holiness. That we would know what it means to be in true fellowship with you. And let us be broken and vulnerable with one another. Being willing to share our lives. In order that we might become more holy. That we might reflect you to this broken world who is in need of hope. Be with us this day, we pray. Amen. Last question for you to discuss amongst yourselves. What? You choose somebody, choose a neighbor. Not everybody do it at once, but choose a neighbor, the one that you like the best. <laughs> and, um, and share with them one way that you can pray for them. One way that you need prayer. I know, go ahead. It's going to be real uncomfortable, but this is what fellowship looks like. Share some way in which you need prayer this day. You can keep chatting. If you have any questions for me, you can ask those now. If you want information about what it is that I'm actually doing now, I'm still a priest, but you can get a little pamphlet and I can share with you more at some point.